Barry Sherry here. Thanks for tuning in to Pink Noise, a radio show dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who have mined and shined their inner gold. I'm recording on board a floating home that I share with my partner in Seattle, Washington. I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral lands of the Duwamish people, past and present. Today, I'm diving in with Jason Diggs. He's one of my teachers on this path of being in conscious connection and the path of relating at an authentic level. In this conversation, he reveals his insights on personal development culture and how the work might have more to do with honoring our ancestors and the land we live on. His opening rant is so in sync with my current growth edge, and I love that he brought it. Buckle up. Hello, Jason Diggs. Nice to have you on Pink Noise Radio. Hello, Sherry. So the human connection movement. Hmm. This is how we met. Uh And one of the things I admire most about your work Mm-hmm. is how passionate you are about finding the language where humanity can intersect and see each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that important to you? Um, I love that we're starting here in the dialogue because um, I think it's the antidote to um, what I would call rampant objectification. Rampant objectification of nature um, in a way that divorces us from not only the planet, but also like our, our spirit or our, our essence, which is connected to um, the planet. Like, you know, one of my favorite thinkers, Alan Watts, used to have this really funny thing bit that he would do about the earth is peopling. <laughs> it's kind of like, like the earth is a tree and we're the apples, right? It's, it's like that's where we're very much a part of it. And um, I think our disconnection from um, our source, if you will, and our source, this is the interesting thing. It's also our ancestors. It's also like our fathers and our father's fathers and our mother's mothers and like straight back a thousand years, right? And so um, if we're not connected to land and and lineage, uh, then we're going to... um, objectify one another to the point where we can harm another person or disregard or neglect another person. And if we're deeply connected to each other, there's no way we could ever harm one another. Mm. That is so rich. Mm. When I, when I sat with some Brazilians last summer out in the forest and I was on a plant medicine journey, it was the biggest message that I received was to sit at the feet of my ancestors and Mm -hmm. have reverence Mm -hmm. and have reverence for what's come before me, where I come from, what their journey was like, and to feel connected to more than just myself. And I am compelled to rewrite the relationship that I have with my parents Mm -hmm. and create stories of who they are now Mm -hmm. to know them and be known by them. Mm -hmm. And it all started there with 
receiving the message and then basically giving a shit. <laughs> yeah. And being a little less self-absorbed. Like mm -hmm. I'm over here in this different part, even in, I'm in a different country than yeah. my family. Mm -hmm. And it's bringing me back home. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I think there's this um, rant that's been building in me about personal growth culture. And um, that is what you're talking about. Like we're so self-absorbed, me included, right? It's like, it's like my iPhone, my, my channel, my, like the way our society is set up, we end up quite self-absorbed and technology is going so fast that we somehow think that we're better than our parents. And it's, it's literally the same thing as like the apple saying, I'm better than the tree, right? And, and like we know more, we might know more about, uh, you know, TikTok or, or like cryptocurrency or something like that than our parents, but all of our uh, DNA, our, all of our source, all of our presence really comes from them right? It comes from them and their parents and their parents and their parents. And I, th I think there's some kind of reverence that gets lost in uh, the whole idea that we need to do our shadow work and our parents messed us up in childhood. <laughs> and we need to like heal from those wounds. And I I'm sorry, I'm going right into this rant at the beginning of this dialogue, but it's, I've been thinking about this in the back of my head for a while. It's like, no, what, what do they have to teach us, right? And if, as a culture, if we can heal this uh, generational divide, um, our um, citizens that are 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old will suddenly become the most valuable thing that we could have because they've, they've just lived on the planet longer, right? Yeah, I came out of a deep meditation just some months back thinking at what point in our age, at what point in our life do we actually get to let go of some of the responsibility of adulting mm -hmm. and invite in more joy, more ease, more peace. Mm. And this had me call up my parents and say of all of the responsibilities that you're still carrying in paying your mortgage and balancing your checkbook and covering the bills and insurance and groceries and cleaning and just everything. What is the most tedious and cumbersome? And if it could come off your plate would allow you to have a little more joy and ease. And the mm -hmm. answer became the deep cleaning of the house. So I hired a house cleaner. It took me four months to like carve this trap with my mom to like open her up to the idea that this doesn't make her a, an irresponsible homeowner. You know, there was so many mm -hmm. like ideas and stories around mm -hmm. what that would mean if she allowed help to come in. Yeah. We all have conditioning, right? Yeah. So how, how can we wake up to our conditioning, um, help one another unwind that conditioning but while having full reverence for our parents and our lineage and the earth and where we come from. And something you said, I, I do think it's important to understand where your triggers come from. Mm -hmm. And I know that it was Susan Campbell 
who is a friend of yours and mm -hmm. someone that I've had the pleasure of meeting this past year. And she taught me that the, the origin of a trigger being unseen emotional wounds from childhood. Mm -hmm. And when I made that link, I saw so much. Yeah. Like I, I just, I could see all the ways in which I projected, you know, onto my ex-partner yeah. things that I wasn't willing to own or take responsibility for. And so there is something in what you said that I want to go, it's important. Like, I think it's important to uncover where your needs didn't get met, how that makes you who you are, and to tend to those unseen things yourself by reparenting your inner child. Like, I do think there's something to that as opposed to like, and yeah, the whole part about blaming the parents like I'm, I'm totally over that, but I think that there was a moment where it had to be acknowledged Yeah. to myself, not to them. Exactly. Yeah. And then the reverence can, reverence can come in and then the compassion can show up. Yeah. And that feels so much better in my body. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It feels really good to be with this, uh, with you in this dialogue. Um, and we met through the human connection movement. So these uh, workshop spaces around authentic relating and circling and, and all of these uh, relational modalities. And I like that phrase human connection movement because I think it's just an idea whose time has come. Like it's happening in many different forms, many different teachers. And uh, you know, there's all these books out around community building now. It's like, that's one of the biggest new trends is like, these books like Belong and Tribes and all, all that stuff. Um, and I think there's this deep, deep yearning, exactly like you're saying, to be seen in the places that we weren't seen, right? It's like the places that we weren't seen end up creating some kind of void or black hole. And when they're seen in presence by another person, um, there's an unfolding, there's an unwinding. Um, you can call it healing. That's just one word. Sometimes um, healing, I think the word can be misleading because it doesn't go away. That's the interesting thing is the wound doesn't go away, right? We can go back into that victim state at any time if we're triggered or, or if we're, you know, someone speaks to us in the wrong tone of voice or the right tone of voice, like they push your buttons, right? Um, but once it is seen, once we do have that experience, we then have a choice. And until that point, it's, it's automatic, it's conditioning, it's, it's something we don't have a choice around. And, and so I think in a sense, what we're doing um, with a lot of this personal growth work and especially authentic relating is we're always just putting new options on the menu. It's like, oh, I didn't have an option, right? I didn't have an option until now because that wound was so strong, like the, gra the gravity of the void um, in there, um, you know, black holes have an extremely amount of high gravity. I don't know if, if you're a physics person, but <laughs> it's like the gravity is so strong that we can't do anything else, right? Until we are seen in it, and then we start to have a choice. So do you think that it's the witnessing 
of where you are that makes the reveal of the choice possible? Yes, absolutely. And something I learned from you, slowing down. Mm -hmm. For me, makes the choice possible because slowing down creates the awareness of what I'm actually thinking about a situation. Yeah. Yeah, I might um, differ from a lot of teachers out there, but I think um, self-responsibility is overrated. I don't think we can heal ourselves. I think all of our relational wounds or 99% of our relational wounds that happened need to be healed in relationship. Um, I don't think we can heal ourselves on our meditation cushion. I think most of the time we're we're actually bypassing. Um, and, and, you know, meditation and, and uh, solo practices and all of that are really good for building awareness and really good for building, um, getting objectivity. But the healing, I think, is happens mostly in relationship. It's mostly can, about being seen. Yeah. Can you say more? Like, what's a what's an example of something that that you realized in your life that was mm-hmm. healed inside of a relationship? Mm-hmm. So one of my teachers w- once said this thing to me. He said, "What you feel matters." And. I was in this situation, um, so I used to be a video producer and I was recording for some of my teachers. So we had all of these cameras and microphones set up and uh, we were in you know, an Airbnb in New York City and like it was like the day after the workshop and they're teaching the workshop and I'm a student and I'm working for them and creating this whole thing for them. And, and um, I had had a breakup um, recently within the last three days. And I was just sucking it up and just doing the work anyway. And I was doing what I do. You know, I'm, I'm very self-reliant. And that's a, one of my biggest patterns of like, oh, I can, you know, I'll move all the equipment. I'll set it all up. I'll, you know, I can be the, the videographer and the sound man and the director and, you know, um, all at the same time. And uh, I, it's, it's all about them and their, you know, me providing value to them. And he could tell that I was really hurting. And so at a certain point, um, we stopped and he, he stopped it really. And we went into this, um, and now think of it as inquiry, but back then, I, um, this was several years ago, I would think of it as circling, but we went into this kind of inquiry where he was questioning me and I was like, looking within and finding the answer and bringing it back out and and just bringing presence and then he said the phrase what you feel matters jason and i realized that for my entire life i had been taking feelings and saying that doesn't matter there's something that matters more which is me being competent or getting the work done or or um yeah that's that's the big one for me it's like me providing value to other people, right? And we could talk about the, the insecurity or like the, the, feeling, the feelings that were underneath that. Um, but just that one phrase, it changed my life. It really did. Um, because now when I notice myself in the pattern, like I said before, the pattern doesn't go away. <laughs> when I notice myself of like, oh, darn, like I've been 
putting all of my feelings on the shelf and I haven't been bringing them out um, because you know, maybe my partner's going through a tough time. And so I just take everything that is going on for me and I stuff it and put it on the shelf and wait a week or wait four days to be able to find the right time to bring it out. And, and I can just be like, oh, I'm doing that thing again. What I feel matters. Like, what do I need? What do I need to take care of myself? Or can I get that met in relationship? And if I can't get it met in relationship, what do I, what do I need? Do I need to call a friend? Like, and, and there's just that one of the most simple realizations I've ever had in my life. Like, oh, what I'm feeling matters. And, um, and so I'm, I'm really thankful to this teacher. Yeah. I'm wondering if that plays into the fifth of the five practices on herself. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and my listeners have heard me talk a lot about the five practices of authentic relating through Art International, of which you were a co-founder. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that your early experiences at awareness of self mm -hmm. show up, show up in the language of these five practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we all have a, a tendency, whether that's to honor um, ourself and be in dignity and discount others or to honor um, others and discount ourselves and to ping back and forth, right? And so this polarity of dignity and humility, I think is one of the most important teachings that's come out of authentic relating. And, um, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time developing that teaching and writing about it. Um, and yet yeah, it really guides me in, in so many situations because, um, and, and what I used to teach, I used to um, poke fun at the self-help industry, which I, I love doing, as you can tell already. <laughs> I would say, if you are canceling on your friends um, more than once, that's not uh, self-care. That's called being flaky, right? <laughs> right, so everything is the equation of honoring self and honoring other in um, and there, it's one equation. It's not like, oh, I've, I'm spending too much time on other people. Like I need to honor myself. Like when we're first learning about these things, I think it's helpful to have, to be able to do that. Um, but it really is a dynamic equilibrium. Like I don't think any of us are gonna be fulfilled unless we're contributing to society and helping other people. And um, you know, often our mission, even if it's to create uh, abstract art or something like that, our mission ultimately is to benefit others. You know, um, yeah. I think that's what I found in this practice. If I go back in time to when I first identified that the value of authenticity mattered to me, I was at a meditation workshop on Orcas Island it was 2001, through my teachers, Joel and Michelle Levy, I uncovered over the course of this week what really mattered to me. And one of my four core values was authenticity. When I found the art of being human and I first heard the definition of authentic relating, mm -hmm. like I can be authentic and not relate and I can relate 
and not be authentic. Mm-hmm. But it's being more of who you are and caring about the impact that that has on another. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hear you talk about right now. Mm-hmm. Is it's in the it's in the care of the shared experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful mystery. So I'll talk just a little bit about the book. The book is called Conflict Equals Energy. And this became like a really interesting contemplation or question for me. And at a certain point, I wrote this uh, poem, this haiku. And it goes, your perspective and mine, two directions life will use steering us towards truth. So there's, there's some mystery of like when you and I come together um, the more intimate we are, the more likely we are to disagree in different moments, right? It's like we, we bump up against each other um, when we're trying to do a project together or work together or start a business together or be in a relationship or a friendship. It's like the more intimacy there is, the more stuff comes to the surface, right? And this, uh, the process of clarifying what comes up um, is really about honoring both perspectives. It's about honoring my own perspective and honoring the other person's perspective. And we have tendencies, um, and we call these um, posturing collapse uh, within authentic relating. We have tendencies to discount ourselves or discount others. Posturing is discounting others. Like they, their perspective is less important than mine, right? Obviously. They have less experience, they have whatever it is, they're not looking at it right. Um, and then we have also tendencies to discount our own perspective, which is collapse. And once we learn to uh, feel these, there's an, a great irony here because in order to live a life of more dignity and humility, the, the way we do it is to notice the patterns of posture and collapse. <laughs> to get more and more present to them, right? It's not easy work. Um, but we, if we're present to something, if we're present to something and we notice it, then we have the potential to have a new option, to have freedom, um, to bring in, to consciously bring in dignity and humility, which is honoring both perspectives. Mm. It sounds like you're describing the fact that dignity and humility um, what was it you said in the book that posture and collapse are the shadow mm-hmm. of dignity and humility? Mm-hmm. And when you shine light on them, when you can bring them forward into your awareness that that's what ha- is happening, what does that then give you access to? If you become more aware of times when you're posturing or times when you're collapsing. It's really the difference between conditioning and freedom. It's the difference between being a robot or being an authentic human being. <laughs> uh, my, my dad uh, used to say this thing to me. He's like, if people can push your buttons, you might be a robot. <laughs> yeah. There's something you wrote in the book that I loved. And I've heard you say this before at the leadership training but it's that living an authentic life requires you to be willing to be changed by the experience, by the experience of the relationship and the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you say more about that? Yeah. 
Well, uh, I learned this from David White. You know, David White is, is a poet um, from Scotland and he, he has um, these beautiful, beautiful ways um, of saying it. But essentially it's that uh, if there's an authentic conversation happening, right? There's all these com conversations that are transactional, like, oh, um, let's talk about logistics. Let's exchange goods. Let's, you know, um, you know, be on the surface and chat and catch up. And like, we need all of that stuff. We can't be in the depths with each other 100% of the time. It, it would be emotionally exhausting. No one can do that, right? <laughs> but at the moment when we notice that we have a mask on, we're not being authentic, we're putting up a front with people who, are who matter to us, people in our lives, whether it's a colleague or a best friend or a spouse or whoever it is, um, when we notice ourselves uh, being inauthentic, that's the moment of opportunity to be like, oh, let me take this mask off, right? So there's no such thing as an authentic person in an, in an inauthentic person. We're all in the same boat. And when we notice moments of um, faking it, right, we can take the mask off. And at the moment we take the mask off and choose to have an authentic conversation, which takes courage, you know, it takes um, you know, that's why we teach a lot of communication skills because you can really mess up your relationships by doing this wrong. <laughs> I imagine you're speaking from personal experience here. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, um, we can cause a lot of emotional pain. And, and when we have an authentic conversation with another person, we leave changed. So what David White says, he says, there's no fixed sense of self that will survive a real conversation. And there, there's something beautiful in this phrase because it points to the truth that we're not, our identity is not fixed. And the universe is always like kind of whispering in our ear, hey, are you willing to be changed? Hey, can you be flexible? I have all of these people in your life that I've gifted you to teach you more flexibility. <laughs> how, do, how do you want to work with that, right? So a truly authentic conversation means that we are impacted and come away changed, whether that's our opinion changes or our understanding of a situation changes or our understanding of how we impact other people change, right? And those can be painful things. To experience, but they can also produce an enormous amount of growth. What was it when you're when you're in a relationship with another, and you want to get into the things that really matter? Mm -hmm. Something you said was that it takes courage to. It takes courage to initiate the conversation and it takes courage to take our masks off and, and um, put, our, put down our, our armor and our That's shields. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when you do, what it gives you access to is to be seen and known for more of who you really are. Exactly. And that's actually the nourishing medicine that we all need. Mm -hmm. So you must have an opinion on the phrase, fake it till you make it. In, in the context of career, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
Okay. Um, in the context of relationship, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's set and setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of your favorite um, communication tools that you use in a relationship to disarm the resistance to connection? Well, first of all, we can't ever disarm another person. Mm. So it, it's just humility. We can only ever disarm ourselves. Right. Because like, let's say you and I are in a, um, in a work project together, right? If your ego defenses are coming up, your mental defenses, your emotional defenses, they're there for a reason. And if I try to take away your armor, it's going to feel like an attack. <laughs> it's, it's like, wait, what are you doing? You want access to my vulnerable parts? What are you, what are you going to, are, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> right? There's all, there's all this genetic memory that we have um, from times that were much more violent than the time that we live in, at least in the West, in, in, in the modern world. Um, and yeah, we're not gonna ever put down our armor or our weapons um, at the request of another person. Like that's just, why would I? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. So you're this person who's written a book, Conflict Equals Energy, mm -hmm. and co-founded a human connection movement organization called Art International. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it began. You told me a story about being a film producer, editor in New York, mm -hmm. and you got invited in to sit with one of these teachers mm -hmm. who circled you. Mm -hmm. And you, I'm, it sounds like you experienced someone being willing to receive you as you were, not as you thought you were supposed to be. And so how did that pivot your life? You said that that forever changed you. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about that journey? Where did, what did you do next? Yeah, well, I spent 12 years as an um, educational video producer. So I was doing a lot of courses and creating a lot of videos and recording seminars and workshops. And, and some of these are you know, for semi-famous people and authors and teachers. And um, I got to really spend a lot of my life in a creative and technical pursuit that was designed to amplify other people's voices. And then there was a certain moment where I said, wait, maybe I can do that. And I, um, I signed up for a course around uh, leading groups and leading circling. And I led my first group before the, the course even started, before I even had the very first weekend. And um, I was pretty audacious for those first couple of years. I was still earning money through being a video producer and uh, volunteering a lot for about three years, uh, learning at, um, from, from many different teachers, many different masterful facilitators in the relational space, um, both circling and authentic relating and traveling all over the world to do this. Like I was um, you know, going to Amsterdam and New York City and Austin, Texas. And, uh, and then there was a way in which like, I was following some intuition. I didn't quite know what it was. Um, 
but there was something about being on the other side of the camera and filming someone else that I was really hiding. I had a lot of insecurity earlier in life. Um, and when I was roughly uh, 37 years old, I encountered authentic relating and I, and I was like, whoa, what is this? And over the course of a year, um, when I first encountered it, um, I grew so much, you know, I went from being like, um, like 50% of the time I would just be painfully socially awkward and anxious. And I didn't know why, like sometimes I could be fine and, and um, even a little charismatic and, and everything, but like there was so much inferiority and in comparing going on uh, in relation to other people uh, that once it got triggered, like I, I couldn't even necessarily speak in front of more than three or four people at a time. You know, it was just so painful. Like, ah, who am I to like, I'm not the important person they are. And, and so there was something about my video production career that was like, let me film all these important people. <laughs> and, um, and when I started to create experiences for groups, um, especially when I started to lead authentic relating game nights, you know, for 15 to 30 people, I was like, uh, it was like rocket fuel for my growth. And I found my calling and um, it took a lot of courage. You know, the first time I led uh, a full weekend by myself, I was quaking in my boots. You know, the first time I led a full weekend as a co-lead with, with someone who, who was a peer, I was so nervous, like ridiculously nervous. Um, and, but I've been leading groups for eight years and I, you know, it's, I've been doing it nonstop. I, I was so, um, I knew where I was going, but I, it wasn't the kind of knowing like I knew in my head, I knew in my belly, I was following something. My intuition was leading me somewhere. Um, and eventually that, um, you know, led to creating my own courses and, teaching all over the world and teaching in Bali and Australia and Hawaii and, and several cities in Europe. And, and then there was a way in which at a certain point I was like, okay, we're reaching a lot of people, but how can I reach more? And that's when I sat down to write the book. And um, first of all, I wanna just recommend that no one ever write a book on conflict. Don't write a book called conflict equals energy, but the universe just might give you a master test on, <laughs> on this topic. So I don't, don't recommend it. Um, but yeah, becoming an author, um, I was terrified. And what, was, did you do, what did you do with that fear? Um, I sat with it. I complained to my friends around it. Um, but yeah, there was many days where like, I couldn't get myself to work on the book for more than 30 minutes because I had just had so much resistance and so much fear around it. And the, the stakes were kind of high, you know, some days I could work on it for three, four five hours in a row. And other days I was like, it, it took a lot of work that um, because I'm inherently an improviser, because I'm, you know, very creative, um, you know, I've been a musician my whole life there's a way in which it's much easier for me to get in front of a group and kind of improvise and, 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 and talk. But writing a book and especially editing a book takes an enormous amount of attention to detail, which is not my strength. 
Um, so I had to face aspects of my personality that were just not very well developed um, in that process. And I don't know if, I don't know how it is for other people, other teachers or, or leaders, but for me, it's been um, a thousand times of failing and falling on my face and getting up again. Mm. Mm -hmm. I find that I can have the dream or the vision and it's that I miss having a team of other like-minded practitioners mm -hmm. who come to the table with their own superpower so that we can gather around a common goal. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear you talk about this task of writing a book, which is your life's work to date of everything you know to be true, mm -hmm. where do you turn for support to move you through that? Yeah, I got, I, I received a little bit of support from um, established authors. Like that's how I developed a friendship with Susan Campbell, who's uh, more of a mentor of mine, you know, and Jeff Brown and Arjuna Ardog, like other authors um, that I reached out to that I had just met in passing over the years. And, and everyone was so encouraging. Um, and so that was a little bit of help. And, and you know, my my friends and colleagues that I, got to complain to <laughs> and you know I would listen to their challenges and they would listen to my challenges and um, that helped but ultimately yeah, it was it was a very lonely experience or that's not quite the right word it was it was something that I could only do myself and um, you know I was collaborating with my editors a little bit but 98% of the responsibility fell on my shoulders um, even though I, you know, I had a designer helping me and, and all of that stuff. Uh, and I'd much prefer to work collaboratively, you know. So that's, that's just the blueprint of who I am. And what's on the other side of the experience for you? Well, I get to do this dialogue with you, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's nice for me. Okay. <laughs> There's something that I'm going to go back to about the book. And yeah. it's, it's something that I felt really alive around. Mm -hmm. And it happened in chapter six, to be specific. And you were talking about the energy that we can generate together when our hearts are in resonance. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, we can create movements. We can change the world. Yeah. And then... I think, yeah, right? Like when I show up with my heart forward mm -hmm. and I'm radiating that back when we were gathering with real people in real life. Remember those times, Jason? <laughs> I do, I do. They're coming again, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and I could feel it. Like I could feel the ripple effect mm -hmm. of, of being a lit up joyful person. Mm-hmm. And that there's contagiousness there. Mm -hmm. And in the book, you know, of course, the next question after writing that is how. Mm -hmm. And you say, find your joy and follow it. Yeah. So what is, what is the joy that you are following right now in your life? Yeah. Oh, I, I love how you're describing this. Um, right now, it's training facilitators because that is the highest leverage uh, activity that I can think of to do 
um, it's spreading authentic relating and training people to take it into different aspects of life. So that's the main thing that we do at Authentic Revolution, my current project, where we're, we're really trying to make authentic relating some sort of decentralized social technology, <laughs> where it's like you have this large community of uh, facilitators who are all resourcing one another. Uh, and some people want to bring it into, you know, with high school kids and some people want to bring it uh, into companies and some people, yeah. And some people want to um, create community. They just want to, you know, get their, their friendship and their social needs met. And the way they do that is they gather people in their living room and, and play these um, authentic relating games. And, and, and so there's some interesting, um, like we called it a movement. It's it, the connection movement is this decentralized network of hundreds of people leading this um, this really strange animal that has literally gone around the world, uh, and uh, there's there's a way in which the spirit of authentic revolution is like, let's give this away. Um, and you know we have a partner organization, Seek Healing, uh, that does um, addiction treatment through um, authentic relating circles, and they have done uh, 1500 meetings um, in the last two and a half years or since 2019. Uh, so the last three years and 100% of those meetings are offered for free. And the facilitators, you know, get paid uh, to lead those and it's all funded through grants. And, and there's, there's some way that it's like our society needs this so much, right? It's like healing and repairing the fat, the, emotional fabric of our society um, so that you know we can really heal in connection together that's that's the thing that um, is the most meaningful to me um, is to provide accessibility um, for this work to provide uh, emotional education to as many people as possible and um, you know the books and the videos and the materials for to train other people to provide emotional education um, in these different realms. And yeah, did I, was there an aspect of your question that I didn't quite get to? It was about finding your joy and following it. No. And so because the impact on me of reading, oh, you know, Jason believes what I believe, which is mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the power of the heart to energize others. Yeah. to show up and have this ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And so often I'm having conversations with people where the question is, how do I find my purpose? And this was a question I asked for years mm -hmm. when I had my kind of midlife breakdown and left my 20 year marriage and resigned from my career. And, you know, <laughs> that whole story of just sitting in the discomfort of not knowing what the rest of my life was supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this, this, you know, I had a big search and I just took one baby step after another mm -hmm. and slowly I've adopted the theology that the meaning of your life is to find your gift and your purpose is just to give it away. Yeah. And the more people I meet like you who are following the thread of aliveness in your life which was this change, the thing that changed you 
was being introduced to relational conversation via circling, that you are welcome here as you are, and you can set the mask down. And being invited into that kind of connection feels like something that changed you. And so this idea that we teach the medicine that we healed from, Mm. you know, and that's, that's where I am. Also, this idea of being fully self-expressed is so important to me. And so here I am hosting a radio show, amplifying the voices of others. Yes. <laughs> so that so that more of that expression can come through. So more people can be touched by that mm-hmm. and see what it is that they need. What is the medicine that speaks to them? Mm-hmm. And then it's just being a champion for that. Yeah. And that really the purpose isn't something to find outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love it. I'm so glad you're doing this show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And when we talk about this, there's a way in which I can feel the ripples. So the chapter that you're talking about, chapter six, it's the shortest chapter in the book. It's right in the middle. It's about the heart, right? And it's about appreciation. And so the more we can amplify the energy of appreciation, which is not just gratitude, like that's a big part of it, but it's also like appreciating fully, like seeing a situation and seeing ourselves for what we are. Um, because I'm a, I'm a beautiful mess. I don't know about you, but like I'm, <laughs> I have these amazing talents, like these, these gifts that are just rare and I'm really messed up sometimes too like I have these huge faults that like trip me up and maybe all of us are like that like you know and and that's that's the core of it is like accepting another person in their light and their shadow fully as one full package as two sides of the same coin like that's really what makes a difference I'll tell you Jason I'm I'm 51, and in the last two years, I've experienced unconditional love for the first time as an adult. Mm. Say more. What do you mean? I just mean that there, there is nothing my current partner could do mm-hmm. that would change my love for him. Mm-hmm. And I feel that unconditionally in return. Wow. In fact, when I have paused to say, He's a, he's a long processor, so I'll never ask him uh, how something impacted him in the moment. Mm-hmm. I've learned to just come back to it the next day or the next day. And I'll say, hey, in that interaction that we had with that friend of ours when I was doing that thing, yeah, how did you feel about that? And perhaps in some way I might have had a reflection or some concern for how it impacted him. Mm-hmm. And the answer I always get back is more, please. Hmm. Just be you more. Hmm. Like just, I'm, I'm fully welcomed by him to show up in the ways that I want to show up. And because I have so much permission to be as big, as weird, as soft, as quiet, as whatever it is I want to be, yeah. I have nothing but all of that to give back to him. Mm. <laughs> That's so amazing. Yeah. It just how did it take me half my life to 
to have that kind of safety, that kind of unconditional, unconditionalness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that one I don't have an answer to. There's part of my belief system that believes like, oh, that's rare. But I don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, I think that's who we really are. I think at our core, we are pure acceptance or pure appreciation or pure gratitude. Mm. Um, how could we not be? Like this, this world that we live in is just glorious in, in its complexity and it's um, in like the way that it's a mirror for what are the nest lessons we need to learn. And, um, and yeah, like I notice hearing your story, like I want to love more. I want to love more unconditionally. I want to receive everyone in my life um, in their shadows and in their light. Um, I think radical acceptance is something that we can give to anyone, right? Free, yeah. it's free. It radical is. Acceptance of others is free. It doesn't cost us anything. <laughs> And one of the biggest gifts for me that has come from this work is I no longer listen for my turn to speak. Mm -hmm. And it still happens. Of course, I'm human. Mm -hmm. But when I'm conscious, I listen to hear what the other person wants me to know about them. And I've been around circles, campfire circles and friendship circles, where I just for, I just completely throw away, how are you doing? And I say, what do you want me to know about you? Mm. Completely changes the quality of conversation we have next. Mm-hmm. And that's context setting and a little bit of the curiosity game. Mm-hmm. And I use those exercises as a as a gateway to mm-hmm. change you know what's happening in an interaction yeah yeah i think that's one of the beautiful things about authentic relating is that we have these core games like noticing and curiosity and empathy game and um, all of this but we play them so that they can be installed as permanent parts of our operating system <laughs> Right? Uh, Because, yeah, the more curious we are, uh, the more we can grow and the more likely we are to uh, be able to accept others. Um, Yeah. I like how you you said something that was really interesting too. How are you listening? I used to listen for ways that I'm less than other people, right? I don't want to listen that way anymore. But if I listen for other people's gifts and then I shower appreciation on those gifts, they tend to grow. Like that's, that's the primary um, way we build community is to listen for the uniqueness that other people have and then just celebrate it. Yes. More please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we're coming up on the hour and I wonder if, there's something I haven't asked you that you'd like to share. Hmm. I mean, this feels so rich. 
Um, I love the way um, that you've embraced uh, this work and this um, brought it into your own mission around self-expression and, and um, yeah, I think of it as like, this work is so powerful that it becomes self-replicating. It's like, careful, careful. You might just end up as an authentic relating um, advocate or ambassador in the world uh, because if it touches your heart, like you want other people to be touched by, by that. And I've seen you uh, pick this up and, and um, live that so fully. So thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> One of my teachers on this journey, Jason. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Honored to be here. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. More of yourself. Yeah, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Me too. I'm, I'm, I imagine I'll be surprised by it. it <laughs> <laughs> what a joy that is to be surprised by your own capacity in life. Yeah, totally. This last comment had me pause after our conversation to consider how I could surprise myself by my own capacity. What would it take in order for that to be possible? What occurred to me is that I must remain open. I must be able to surrender, to let go of control, that I know exactly how my life should look. In order for me to be surprised in the first place, because you can't be surprised if you got it all figured out. And having it all figured out is based on who you think you are in that moment that you decided on the plan. How does that leave room for a changed you experiencing new things, having new thoughts, to pivot and accept a concept shift? I think this is why I've heard other mentors say, if you know your why and your what, the how will figure itself out. It's not necessary to know how when you are firm in your conviction, your reasons, and you have a firm grasp on the medicine you offer. It seems much of what I say are just lessons I'm repeating for myself. None of this is actually for you. It's for me. And it's just a bonus if there's a nugget for someone else to mine and shine for themselves. At least that's what I got out of yesterday's float tank meditation. Every time I've opened my mouth to offer advice to someone else, every time I've heard me use the word should to someone else as if I know what's best for them, is really just a message for future me to remember how I need to navigate a situation like theirs should it ever happen to me. What's actually helpful is to ask the person with the conflict to name the impact of decision A versus decision B, and then mirror back what you heard them say. In receiving your reflection, chances are, if they're able to pay attention to their body, their body will give them a message. There will be detectable sensations which will notify them about which direction 
is best for them. It's taken me a long time to see this as the way I prefer to be in connection with another. I used to think my value came from being seen as smart, wise, or having the right answer. But the more I stay in my practice of authentic relating, the more I realize we're all just mirrors for each other. I think this mission of radical acceptance that Jason talked about is the key to loving more unconditionally. There's a ripple effect it has. He talked about wanting to receive everyone in their shadow and their light. And I think that everyone includes yourself. In his admission that he can be a hot mess sometimes and that he has exceptional gifts to offer. And I believe, like he does, that this is true for all of us. And this brings me back to something Jason said near the end of our interview about how we listen, how we listen to others, and how he's learning to listen for the gifts in the other. Listen for what they are saying about their uniqueness and amplify that. It's like I paid him to say it. It plays right into my core value for amplifying the gold and the theme of this radio show. You can find information about Jason's programs at AuthenticRevolution.com. I'll put the link in the show notes along with details for getting a copy of his book, Conflict Equals Energy. As always, thanks for listening. It's such a thrill to receive your comments and feedback on what you found valuable. If you aren't already a subscriber on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or SoundCloud, would love to have your support by following this program. Next week, a conversation with Esther Loopstra, who's a soul sister on the path of authentic self-expression. Until then, keep mining and shining the gold within.